Well, Keith's here. No, I'm here. Um, yes, part of Keith is here. He's uh, going to be doing some ministering tonight that we found out about. And uh, like Dave said, first service, I said, I'm not going to tell you about it. But he reminded me that if you'd have been here Wednesday night, you'd have heard about it. So uh, how many were here Wednesday night? Oh, so a lot of you know where he is. Um, He's actually, I'll go ahead and tell you. He didn't tell me I could, but I'll sneak it in since he told it Wednesday night. First service missed it, but he's going to be ministering at a prison tonight. Yeah, and so uh, he's taking some of the guys. They're going to disappear, and and, uh, it's going to be really, really good. So y'all be believing with him and expecting with him, and uh, it's going to go really exceptionally well. And... um, we're expecting. So uh, I think uh, it's a good thing to do. And the guys there are really, I think, looking forward to it. We, we kind of asked the chaplain when he wanted him to come. We was going to wait a few weeks. And he said, no, no, now. So it kind of <laughs> was like now. So it'll be real good. And then also uh, this morning we have um, somebody that's special and real dear to my heart, um, the president and founder and uh, of Harrison House and FCF International, but most importantly, a dear friend and like sister to me for, gosh, I was trying to think a while ago when we were standing there, close to 30 years, I think. Yep, Miss Pat Harrison, would you stand up, please? This is, um, in case you're not familiar with this, this is Brother Hagen's daughter, Brother Hagen and Miss Aretha's daughter, and um, we have been friends for a very, very long time, and uh, we've seen each other in our PJs and our formal wear, you know, so we've been all around each other, and their kids are like sisters to me, and she's like, you know, I mean, we've been around for a long time, so... uh, I love her, love her, love her, love her, love her. So uh, we're glad she's here this morning. I know she came to hear Keith, but she's stuck with me. That's the way life goes, you know. So um, that's, that's life. So, yeah. <laughs> and Miss Rose is with her. And Miss Rose has been with her longer than I've known her. So, uh, you know, they've been around each other for a very long time, too. So uh, we love you, too, Miss Rosa. So uh, they've been around a long time. We're glad to have them here this morning. Well, I got a sermon a couple of months ago, and uh, I kept putting it off preaching it and stuff because I wanted it to, like I told him first service, I wanted it to do like you have to do gumbo. You know, you have to let it simmer and cook for a long time, you know. And uh, if you've ever made gumbo, it takes a little while to make, you know. So, uh, But um, it came up in my heart, and um, I kept looking at it and looking at it and looking at it, and um, it is something that I hadn't thought a lot about, and you see if you've thought a lot about it. The title of it is Sowing or Planting. You ever thought about much of the difference between sowing and planting? I hadn't thought about it a lot. And, um, but I got studying about it a little bit, and the Lord dropped it in my heart, and so I kind of looked at it and looked it up in the Word and stuff. And uh, I think you'll see today a difference between the two. And I think it'll maybe open your eyes to some things. So let's look at a couple of scripture, and we'll go from there, and then we'll explain some things to you. Turn to Isaiah 28:24. And I don't know about you, but I wondered, you know, when I found this, if God didn't just stick it in there just then for me, you know, because I never saw it before, you know. Maybe it wasn't already in there, but I never saw it, you know. And I've read Isaiah before. This is in the Amplified. Isaiah 28:24. It says, does he who plows for sowing plow continually? 
Does he continue to plow and harrow the ground after it is smooth? When he has leveled his surface, does he not cast abroad the seed of dill or fennel or scattered cumin and put the wheat in rows and barley in its intended place um, and spelt as its border? For his God instructs him correctly and teaches him. For dill is not threshed with a sharp threshing instrument, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin, but dill is beaten off with a staff and cumin with a rod. Does one crush bread grain? No. Does, not, uh, does he not thresh it continuously? But when he has driven his cartwheel and his horse over it, he scatters it without having crushed it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel, excellent in wisdom, and effectual working. Now, the NIV says it this way. It says, when he has leveled the surface, verse 25, does he not sow the caraway and scatter the cumin? Does he not plant the wheat in its place, the barley in its plot, the spelt in its field? So you see what it's doing. Each thing has its exact way of being planted and its exact place of being planted. His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Caraway is not threshed with a sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. Caraway is beaten out with a rod and cumin with a stick. Grain must be ground to make bread. So one does not go on it threshing, go, go on threshing it forever. Though he drives the wheels of his threshing cart over it, his horses do not grind it. All this comes from the Lord Almighty, wonderful in counsel, magnificent in wisdom. Then the Living Bible says this. It says, verse 23, I think, listen to me. Listen as I plead. Does a farmer always plow and never sow? Is he forever harrowing the soil and never planting it? In other words, is he expecting results from something he didn't plant? Now, I got a question for you. How many of you in here have ever asked the question... When are they ever going to come to church? When are they ever going to get saved? I've been praying for them year after year after year. When are they ever going to live right? How do I ever do that? How do I ever teach them this? When are they ever going to give? When are they ever going to straighten up? Nobody's ever done that in here. Or ever tried to explain something to somebody or get somebody to see it their way. Or get something across to somebody. Okay, I'll do like I did first service. How many married people do we have in here? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. So you have tried to get something across to someone. Just what I thought. 
But there is a way, and there is a time, and there is a right way and a wrong way, and there's a place, and there's a how. I mean, how many of you saw that in Isaiah before? I mean, it's been in there all the time. I think it's been in there all the time. I don't think God just inserted it in there for today. I mean, he loves me. I am his favorite. Remember that. He might have done it for me. But let's look at what the difference between sow and plant is and see if you can understand what you've been doing and what I've been doing maybe a little bit different than maybe what we should in some areas, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So, what does it mean? It means to scatter seed over the ground, the land or the earth, for growing. To strow or to cover something. To spread seed thickly. Now, this thought just crossed my mind as I was reading that. To strow or to cover something. Uh, I think maybe a lot of married couples have strown or covered each other with stuff. Like pressure. Or a lot of opinions that maybe the other one didn't ask for. Oh, excuse me, I'll go on. Um, Maybe you shouldn't say everything you think. Um, To plant means to place or to set seeds in the ground to grow. As a seedling or a slip, one ready for transplanting or to put or to set in the ground as a young tree. Now, do you see the difference between the two? Now, I was born and reared till I was like hmm, 11 in New Orleans. Now, that's a city. Okay? Then my dad, he was here for service, and he kept shaking his head, um, had us to move to the country. And I thought the curse had come upon me. <laughs> I was not a country girl. And we would plant these huge gardens and stuff. And I learned the difference during that time between sowing and planting. I didn't know now the difference. You see what the difference is. But sowing would be like uh, you're going to sow um, grass across a field to plant hay. Or or you're going to sow, uh, somebody said, wheat you know, in the first service. But you're just going to take it, if you've ever done it in your yard or anything, like a handful of seed or something, and just throw it like that, you know. You're just throwing it out there. And you're expecting it to cover a big area. That's sowing something. You're just spreading it out everywhere. But to plant something, we would plant gardens. We call them gardens, but they were more like acreage of things. Why, I have no idea. There were only five of us, but we would plant big gardens. And, you know, tomato plants and um, corn seeds and, and those kind of things, we'll say like a tomato plant. You would have to take the tomato plant after it was so tall and you would go out there in the garden in the heat of the day in the dirt and the mud and get the mud all underneath your fingernails 
And you'd have to, Daddy would have plowed the rows, and you'd have to get down on your knees and poke holes in the ground and wiggle your finger in there and then pour a little water in it and then take the tomato slip and sit it. Hey, I've done it. And set it in the thing and hold it there and then pat all the dirt around it. And you'd have to have a specific spot that that tomato slip went into. Then when I married Keith, I had to do the same thing again. There's my mother-in-law. Cursed. I'd rather go to the grocery store. But they don't taste the same. They really don't. But anyway, I don't... Now, I know the difference. Let me tell you how I know the difference. The potato slips are the same way. You take them and put them in the ground and, and bury them in the ground. Now, I'll tell you how I know the difference with a potato slip. Because my brother-in-law, one day we were all going out to go skiing. And uh, we're, you're supposed to take potato slips and plant them in the ground, kind of the same way, okay? Well, he decided he wanted to go in a hurry. So he took all the potato slips and dug a hole in the ditch and planted them all in the ditch. And he said, they're planted. Well, they were planted, but not in a row. So all the potatoes came up in the ditch. Right? I'm telling the truth, aren't I? He was young, 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 you know. So he, he kind of got reprimanded for that. But that's the past, you know. We won't live in the past. But um, anyway, there's a difference between planting and sowing. You find a specific spot that you're going to plant something. And sowing, you're just scattering everywhere. Now, I think we've all done both. We've all planted and we've all sown. I know I have. I know I've done a lot more sowing in uh, maybe the wrong way and planting in maybe the wrong way. Let me explain. I think we should do more, most people do, most planting with, when I said sowing and planted, what did you think of immediately? Money, right? Okay, I think most people have done most of their planting with money. They've thought, okay, I'm going to give Jim a dollar, I'm going to give Mo a dollar, I'm going to give Sharon three dollars, and just, they're thinking, I'm specifically going to give this one this, and this one this, and they are planting. They are knowing specifically what they're doing with it. But with their sowing, they're just kind of opening their mouth and letting it fly. And their opinions are coming out and going in every direction and never planting their words. They're doing a lot of sowing with their mouth and very little planting with their mouth. When I think we should do just the opposite. I think we should do an enormous amount of sowing with our money and an enormous amount of planting with our words. Be very careful of what we say. And be very generous with our things and our money. You see how quiet it got? I'm talking about me. I said, I, that's what I have done, okay? I know when we first got in the ministry and stuff, I mean, what do you want to do? I know what I did. I, I don't know if it was, well, I do know. It was part dumb, 
and it was part pride, and it was part show and tell, showing everybody what you knew. And then the other part was, you just thought it was your job to correct everybody that was doing something wrong and get them on the right path. Now, that was me. That's not you. That's what I did. So you can put all your stones back in your pocket. Because you, when you find out something about the things of God, you're going to tell everybody. And you think everybody should be doing it just exactly the way that you're doing it. And there's no other way. Your way is the only way. And your opinion is the only one that matters. Because you see it in the Word this way, and this is the way it should be. And so everybody should do it that way. Why would you even think about it? So you're sowing that into people's lives and scattering your opinion over their heads and dumping it on them. Whether it's your family or your friends or your co-workers or people you come in contact with or people in the grocery store or whatever. When really that's what we should be planting. We should be very careful about what we say to those people. Because they are the ones that, how many can have ever heard something like, you religious fanatic, get out of my face. Or if they haven't said it, you could feel it. Like, back off, Jack. Leave me alone. How many of you in here, the first time you heard anything about God and about getting saved, got saved? Nobody. So somebody planted a seed in you. They planted a thought. They planted an idea. They didn't just come to you and sit on top of you and say, Jim, you're going to get saved before I leave here today, buddy. What would have happened to him? He'd have run in the other direction probably. Or looked at Connie, Connie, you are giving me every dime you got. You're going to tithe, sister. Forget it. No matter what you think, you're tithing today, here, now. I mean, how many of you tithed the first time you heard about tithing? How many of you tithed the first year you heard about tithing? I mean, you see what I'm saying? It just takes some planting. Look at what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians 3. The NIV. It says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he that plants nor he that waters is anything. Uh oh. That means you ain't nothing. As far as making it happen. You've got your part. God's the one that makes it grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. And each will be rewarded according to his labor. Have you ever seen somebody that brought somebody to church with them to get them saved? And they say, they got saved because I brought them to church. I wonder how many people crossed his path for the last two years that got him to that point to even get him to church that day. 
But just so happened that he came with you that day and gave his heart to the Lord or she. There was a lot of planting along the way that got him to that point to get saved that day. There can be a lot of things that happen in people's lives. It says that you will be rewarded according to your labor, for we are God's fellow workers, and uh, you're God's field in his building. I know I can look back on mine and Keith's life and see different people that have planted into our lives. I can look back even through to my teenage years and different people that didn't know what they were planting into my life, but planted things as far as my say, business business ethics and the way that I do things. And it was that God had it consistent year after year after year after year. I think every boss that I ever worked for demanded excellence from me. I mean, it was no bending with them. It was like uh, I said it in first service. I had this one boss, and I used to have to do these accounting ledger sheets for him. You know, and I worked in an accounting department. And uh, it was the old time, when some of you may remember, they were about this long, and it was at an auto dealership. And uh, we had all the different sections and stuff. And uh, you'd have to write down over here what it was and carry it across the lines. And it had to balance when it got here. And then it had to balance down at the bottom. Any of y'all remember those sheets? Well, they were long and they were long this way. And um, I remember one day I got in a little bit of a hurry and I didn't make my loops on my nine quite big enough. And um, it balanced. I thought, glory to God, it's 6 o'clock and it's balanced and I get to go home. Well, she looked at it and it was all balanced. Well, she didn't quite think my nines were quite legible enough for future reference. So she said, "Um, I don't think this is going to work. And she just took that sheet and just tore it into shreds and said, it'll need to be done over. And I got to stay that night and do it over. And that's kind of how I was trained. Well, that was planted into me. And I think I had every job was kind of, I could relay several stories to you along that line kind of a spirit of excellence planted into me about the way things are, ju- are done on jobs. But even, you know, different ministers and things would say things to you along the way, or acquaintances have planted things. And I know you can sit here and think about different people that have planted things into your life, all through your life. But I can also think about people that have sown things into our lives. Brother Kenneth and Miss Gloria, I know that they've sown into our lives, I look at them, and when I see them, they don't always say things, but when I see them, I see people that love people. They love people. I've, I've gained that from them. It's something that they have sown into my life. They never turn anybody away. Somebody can always come up anytime you're with them at a restaurant, any place that they always will take the time with them. They love people. And mom and dad, Hagen, I told it in first service. We were with them for decades. And there's things that they taught us that you cannot, say, just plant in one or two words. And they didn't teach us with their words. If you knew anything about dad, yes, he'd teach in a service, but he was not this great, big, humongous talker all the time. But he taught you tremendously. He was a constant teacher. And he taught us faith in the pulpit. And he taught us how to be led. And those are things you'll never forget the whole rest of your life. 
But he taught me something way more valuable than that. He taught me about honoring God. I don't think there's ever been another person that's taught me that. That's taught me that God is first. Nothing else is first. And he didn't say it with his mouth. He said it with his life. It didn't matter how he felt. It didn't matter what else was going on. It didn't matter who else was there. It didn't matter uh, what was going on in his life, what his kids were doing. Am I right? didn't matter anything that was going on. God was first. When it was service time, it was service time. And when the clock struck 7 o'clock, the service started. And you were to be on the platform or you were to be singing or you were to be in your chair or you were to be where you were supposed to be. And it wasn't that he ever said it. It was that he was the example of it. He wasn't late. He didn't show up for service late. And he didn't show up half ready or half prepared. He honored God. Now, he was not this, a lot of people have dad in their minds, is this, this just staunch, straight person. And I told it first service, I said, dad was funny and crazy and wild. I, I, you know, a lot of people don't know these things, but uh, I remember specifically one night I put ice down his back and he retaliated. Uh, he bit my arm. Um, he had a fun side to him, you know, and we'd show up places and he'd ask Keith, did he bring his talking machine? Or, you know, just different things would happen, you know? And uh, I had, uh, you know, a pretty good rapport with Dad. But when it came to service time, he did not play. It was time to respect and honor the things of God. And you didn't get up and leave and you didn't squirm around and you didn't play and you didn't do different things when it was time for service. You honored God. And you were ready to serve God. And I was around him for decades. And I went to service after service after service. Sometimes we'd have five seminars a year. Besides all the meetings that we had on the road, which was a bunch. And I don't recall one time Not one time that dad ever went out and played golf or went shopping or did anything else in the afternoon except for get ready for the service that night if he had a service that night. Now, he taught me that and not by his words. He sowed into my life with his life, with what he did. Now, he could have said a lot of things. Honor God, Phyllis. God's first. And then going out and played golf all afternoon. Would have meant the same thing. But he sowed into my life an honor and a respect for the things of God that you will never be able to take away from me. And mom was the same way. I mean, they were in their 80s, and they never missed a service or were late for a service. 
and traveled all over the world. And most 20-year-olds couldn't keep up with them and were running late and behind. But they weren't because their priorities were right. God was first. I know Mom went through some things and had some physical issues and overcame some things. But I can remember sometimes we'd have a morning service. Her and I would get in the car. We'd go deal with doctor things all the afternoon. We'd get home. We'd fix something to eat. She'd be sick all afternoon. We'd get her dressed. We'd get her in the car. We'd sit her right there on the front row when most people would be in bed. Now, she didn't just come to hear Dad. Because when Dad was in the pulpit, she was there herself to hear God. And honor God. And I didn't even think about Pat being here this morning, but she would be the same way. She didn't go to hear her dad. She went to hear God. We all did because he taught us that. And a respect and a reverence for the things of God. And I think I myself have been remiss in us getting this to the next people. It's like we get so lackadaisical in the things of God that we're not portraying it to the people around us. There's a laxness in the things for the honor and respect for the things of God. I don't think all those things in the Old Testament were written just so we could say, isn't that neat that all those priests and all those things in the Old Testament had to be so specific as to what they wore and what they said and what they did? Do you think they took up all that space in the Old Testament just so we could say, wow? It was so that we would try to grasp the respect and the honor for the things of God. And it's not a clothes issue, and it's not a, um, a, a drinking water issue, and it's not a uh, getting up and leaving when somebody's saying something issue or a clapping issue. It's a heart issue. And he sowed that into us. When things are being said by the anointing and things are being said, the things of God, and the man of God or, or the person of God is saying things under the anointing, there should be a reverence for that. There should be a holy awe that, that should come across people. And, and, and uh, uh, you, you don't look down. You don't look around. You don't, you don't get up. You don't, you're definitely not grabbing for water and grabbing for things that you would... It's, it's God's time. And He didn't teach me that by telling me that. He taught me that by example. And what he did was he made me see that I would miss something. And I think people miss things in services. Because God can't talk to their heart because their heart's paying attention to what Susie's doing over here or what Johnny's doing over here or getting their water or, or like Dave and I got in trouble for that time texting in the middle of service and... No reverence. But those are not words he tried to plant into me to try to correct me. Or that she tried to plant into me to try to correct me. 
Those were things that they lived in front of me decade after decade after decade after decade. Those are things that Brother uh, Kenneth and Miss Gloria, if you've ever seen them, it does not matter who is speaking. If you've ever seen them, they'll come and sit in this service. They'll sit right here on the row. They'll get their Bible out. They'll take notes. And there'll be a respect for the things of God. They've sown that into our lives. That takes time to do with people. It's not just taking one little slip and putting it in a little hole. That's a planting of something. That's a a one-time thing. It takes decade after decade after decade of sowing and sowing and continuously doing that over a period of time and living it in front of people. But you know what determines that? Is people's hunger for it. And I saw this yesterday. There's people that's all the time coming to us and saying, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? I was just reading and I, and I saw Jesus never had to go out looking for people to minister to. People were all the time coming to him. And we'll find out why as we go along. Because he, he sowed something. And I think we all know what it is. He, he was sowing constantly. We have a chance to be able to do that. We are. The word doesn't say uh, to go a witnessing. It says we are a witness. With our lives. We are an example. And that's what happens so many times in our lives. Our family members or our friends or our co-workers or, or the people that we're around, they are constantly seeing us and we're planting into their lives good or bad with what we're doing. And that's what I try to get across to the youth all the time. I mean, just the other night, uh, the youth went and ministered to some people. And it was the most glorious thing. I, I did this first service. We'll check in here now. How many youth are in here that went uh, Sunday night? Stand up, guys. Y'all stand up everywhere. Was that the most fun that you guys have had in... Wave your hands if you had a good time with it. Yeah. Y'all want to do it again? Yes. yes, yes. Is it better than just thinking about yourself? Yeah. I, and I said this first service. Y'all can be seated. Um, we are not going to have just a bunch of Garfields in here. Do you know what I mean by Garfields? You ever seen the movie Garfield? What is Garfield? A fat, lazy, selfish cat. What does Garfield think about all the time? Himself and eating what he wants to eat. That's all he thinks about is what he wants, what he wants to eat. And I got to thinking about the youth. 
And I got to thinking about, you know, we have been feeding them year after year after year after year after year. And youth anyway have a tendency to be selfish. And I thought about myself this past year. And I thought, dear me, how gross. Because this last year when all this stuff came up about what we were going to be doing and stuff, I started feeling sorry for myself. And I thought, I don't know if I want to do that. No. And I started looking at me. And it was yucky. And I wasn't pretty. And I didn't like it. And the more I looked at myself, I thought, ooh. And I thought, you don't want to dwell on you too much. That's not very good. You better start looking at something else. And if you're just looking at you, you might want to turn your sight someplace else because, you know, you can get real boring in a hurry. I found out I was really, really boring. And that's what happens to people. Is they just get looking at their self and, and turning everything in toward them and what they're wanting, what they're needing. And they forget about planting. And they forget about sowing. And when you do that, your needs are not going to be met. There's no way that they can be met. Because when you give, what happens? It's given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And that's the only way. So, say for instance, you're planting. Say, Dan's got a brother in the, another state someplace that's not saved. And he's been preaching to him for five years, ten years, twenty years. You've got to get saved. You've got to go to church. You've got to get saved. Quit drinking. Go to church. Quit doing this. Quit doing that. I told you to quit doing that. Well, you're never going to have any money if you don't quit blowing it on drugs. I mean, he's been doing it for ten years. Is he making progress? No. What can he do? Somebody comes across his path, he can help them. He can plant some seed into them. He can minister to them. And what can God do with his brother in 40 different states away from here? He can send a laborer right across his path that he will listen to because he ain't near about to listen to him. You know it and I know it. All he's going to say is, that's Bubba. Here I am. Or that's Mama. Or that's Sister. But there will be somebody he'll listen to. So you're better off planting some seed in somebody else's life and letting it come back to you. Or you may need to sow into somebody else's life. You may need to continuously almost take them on and just check on them and feed them and take them here or take them there. There's a difference between planting and sowing. Dave told a few weeks ago when he was doing the offering about somebody that he hadn't seen in a long time. But he could tell they were down. It wasn't the best time for him. But he'd lost a family member. Was it his wife? Lost his wife a year ago. He took the time and planted Word into him. 
took the time and ministered to him. Now, he didn't get him turned around and headed back in church that day. He didn't get him fired up and living for God that day. But what did he do? He planted something in him. Now, somebody else could come along the next day, and maybe his heart was just a little bit softer. They can plant something else. And then maybe next week, somebody else can come along, and they can plant something else. And you got a row going then. And God's instructing them, one right after the other, to come across their path. And seeds are getting sown. And who's making them grow? Okay, well, what about your family member? You're doing this for other people. God's causing the same thing to happen with your family member. You may not can see it yet, but it's happening. And God can cause it to grow. Or your boss, or your cousin, or your aunt, or your uncle. Or maybe somebody's just been hard and mean to you. God can send laborers. You be kind to somebody that's been hard and mean. you got to start planting. I think this church should be so packed out, we have to have four services on Sunday. But why isn't it? Just because Keith and I live a certain way doesn't mean that everybody is going to portray that way. But is that okay? People think a certain way. I know, we go in places. Oh, you're part of Faith Life Church. And that's either good or bad, depending on who's been there before. Look at something with me here. Philippians 2. The Amplified. It says, But I hope and trust in the Lord Jesus soon to send Timothy to you, that I also may be encouraged and cheered by learning news of you. Now, we should get cheered every time we hear news of you, what you're doing. It should be good news because you're planting or you're watering. It should be great news. Why? Because you're doing what the Word says. You're getting the gospel to them. It says, verse 20, For I have no one like-minded, like him, no one of so kindred a spirit, who will be genuinely interested in your welfare and devoted to your interest. For others all seek to advance their own interest and not those things of Jesus Christ. So why isn't this place full today? Because we have our own interest. We have our own. We're busy. Busy being busy. But we also have needs. And those needs are not getting filled. So how do we get the needs filled? By filling somebody else's needs. 
It's real simple. You can't just uh, give money and expect to get wisdom. If you need wisdom, what do you do? You sow wisdom. If you need help, what do you do? You sow help. If you need answers, what do you do? Sow answers. I told, I've told this before um, in a lot of the marriage meetings and stuff. I know when Keith and I first went to Rhema, um, this was even before we went to Rhema, actually. Goodness gracious, this was a long time ago. Shakers. Um, we had, we were young when we got married, you know, like we were babies, you know, and um, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, and we didn't do it right, and we had trouble. And I think everybody knows that. I've shared that with everybody. Um, you um, don't know what to do. Uh, I wasn't raised in a Christian home the way that I should have been raised, and he wasn't raised the way he should have been raised in some ways about uh, marriage things, and, and you just get all messed up. And so I, I started studying the things about marriage, and I thought, we've got to get this fixed. I didn't have a clue about marriage stuff, but what I did is I started studying about it, and I started helping other people with theirs when I was so messed up with mine. But you know what started happening? Mine started getting better. Because I got my mind off of mine and got to helping somebody else. So long as you keep your focus in here, things are not going to get better. But you start sowing out here and planting out here, your answers are going to come. And God will give you the wisdom, okay? Give them this word. Pray, and, and I'll give you the word to say, and you can give them this word. Or go in this restaurant and leave them an extra big tip today. Oh, tip. Yeah. That's something you are supposed to do. Because it is a witness. And it is a seed. Whether a good one or a bad one. But you're planting in people's lives. And you pick your words carefully as to what you say to people. And then you find people that maybe you're supposed to bring to church on a regular basis or maybe you're supposed to minister in their lives or the home fellowships and you sow into their lives the things that God tells you to sow. And what's that going to do in your life? Nobody knows. What does Matthew 6.33 say? Turn with me to Ecclesiastes 11.6. This is the NIV, guys. It says, sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle. 
For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will equal, will do equally well. The New Living says, plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon, for you don't know if profit will come from one uh, dollar. Does that say dollar? Activity or another or maybe both. So that means you have to be active doing something. And who's it going, who's it talking about it profiting? It's talking about it profiting you. It's going to profit you and it's telling us to sow. We've got to. I know myself. You know, you can make excuse after excuse after excuse about not being able to have time to talk with this one or do this one or do this that you need to do. But there's always time to help somebody get past where they are. And I have a saying, and and some of you may already know it, there's no throwaways. As long as somebody is breathing, they're valuable. And you may think they're flaky as flaky can be. But guess what? God sent them across your path. And he must think you're flaky enough to minister to him. Because he sends, he sends me lots of flaky people. So he must know how flaky I am. Because somehow or another I'm able to get across to him. So, so we must be somehow on the same... Because somehow, some way, he gives me the right plot to put it in. Or the right edge to go around. To plant something. And something, see, here's another thing. You think about all the time, the things that dad has said to me, uh, that he's sown into my life. He say things like, if you can just keep them coming... You can help change their lives. And that's the way it is with you. If you can just keep them around you, you can help change their lives. Maybe they are flaky jakes and they're stealing five bucks out of your billfold every time you see them. But they're with you for a reason. And if you'll pray instead of get mad, God will give you the wisdom to say the right things. To help plant something in them. Maybe lead them along the right path. There are no throwaways with God. And I'm not going to come in contact with every person out there that you're coming in contact with. But every one of you have got a word in you. You've been sitting in here getting fuller and fuller and bigger and bigger just like Garfield. And it's time we get on our treadmills or whatever we need to do and get out there and minister to people and start planting stuff in people's lives and start getting this seed out into people's lives. Because God is sending people across your path daily. And it's real easy to say, ah, they're nothing to me. 
Are they? Or are they not? You know, you and I were flaky when we started too. You don't have to laugh. It's true anyway. We didn't know everything. And we still don't. But if we'll keep staying with the Word and growing, we'll come up and up and up. And we'll be able to accomplish more for God. But He's sending people across your path so that you can plant things into them. And it's time that we do it. Don't reject them. Because I don't know how it works in heaven. I know there's a judgment seat. I know that much. And I just wonder sometimes if when we get there, if he's going to say, you know that person that had that dog that kept jumping on you and licking your leg and you didn't like it? I just wonder if you were supposed to minister to that person and you just got aggravated because the dog was jumping on you. And I'm not talking about preaching to him. Let's look at another scripture. Luke 11. This is the NIV. It says, Woe unto you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint and your rue and all other kind of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and what? Is it on the screen? You neglect justice and what? And what? You should have practiced the latter without leaving the farmer undone. The living says, but woe to you Pharisees. Now, we don't want to be called Pharisees, right? For though you are careful to tithe even the smallest part of your income... You completely forget about justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes. But you should not leave these other things undone. The New Living says, What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees? For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest of income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. Yes, you should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things, which is the love of God. And you all know 1 Corinthians 13. I'm just going to read one verse out of the NIV. It says, if I give all I possess to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames, but if I have not love, what? I am absolutely nothing. We have got to start sowing love to every person we come in contact with. No matter how much they irritate us, no matter how much they aggravate us. It's like Keith says, you can just smile. Yeah, and I say wave. (laughs) But you can smile and say no and love on them. And God will give you a word that will plant something good in them. That can keep them from turning away from the things of God. It may not be what they want to hear, but it'll still be in love. And it'll be a seed that's planted into them that is not only going to help them, but it will be beneficial for you and whoever your family members are, your friends are, your co-workers are, and answers to your questions. 
because you can't give without getting. Let's look at another scripture here real quickly. I'm just going to read you this one while you're turning to the other one. The other one I want you to turn to is Hosea, but listen to this one. This is in Job. Job 4.8 says, As I have observed those who plow evil and those who sow trouble will reap it. The New International Reader's Version says, Here's what I have observed. People that gather, people will gather a crop from what they plant. If they plant evil and trouble, that's what they'll harvest. So you need not worry if people have planted evil towards you. They're going to reap it. They are going to reap it. You don't have to worry about getting back with them. They're going to reap what they planted. You don't have to try to get it back to them. Hosea 10, 12, NIV. It says, sow for yourselves. Sow for who? Yourself. Righteousness. And reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up the unplowed ground, for it's time to seek the Lord. Until he comes and showers righteousness upon you. The New Living Translation says, I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. How many of you could do with some love? And how many of you could do with some righteousness? I'm telling you. Well, you see how to get it? This next part says, plow up the hard ground of your hearts for now is the time to seek the Lord. How will we seek the Lord? When somebody crosses our path, Lord, am I supposed to do something? Am I supposed to say something? Sometimes it's just one quick word. Am I supposed to sow something? Am I supposed to leave an extra tip? Am I supposed to give them a hug? Am I supposed to do anything? Find out from the Lord what you're supposed to do and do it. Are you all ready to do it? If we do it, we won't be able to minister to everybody that we're supposed to minister to. There'll be so many people. Because love never fails. Right? Stand up with me. You guys got something, Dwayne? Where's Sue?